eat whatever's around you, eat local produce, like cook whatever you know. You don't have to cook like someone else because that's someone else's story. Show everyone who you are with the food that you love and that is good enough. A chemical engineer by training, Manoli De Silva was born in Sri Lanka and is now living in Darwin where she's just opened her first restaurant, Ella. Manoli came to wide attention on MasterChef Australia where she was a contestant on season 13 and came back this year for the Fans and Faves series because she was absolutely and deservedly a fave. Manoli, welcome to Daddy Lennon. Thanks for having me, Daddy. I'm so excited. Uh, this, this is my first podcast ever, so yeah, a lot of um, buzzing feelings right now. Wow. Well, I'm pretty honoured. I'm surprised that this is your first podcast, but I am pretty honoured to um, be here with you to guide you gently through your first podcast experience. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, let's do this. So I don't know. I feel like, I mean, obviously I want to talk about you, but I feel like we need to start with the current situation in Sri Lanka because it is so intense, crazy, tumultuous. Um, Over the weekend I was watching footage of uh, people um, storming the presidential palace. Uh, There's a lot of unrest, um, you know, off the back of a lot of hardship due to, yeah, shortages of food and fuel and, yeah, all kinds of things. Um, As someone who was born in Sri Lanka, how are you thinking and feeling about the current situation? Um, It's actually quite, uh, there are a lot of mixed feelings with the current situation, a lot of sadness there, but also um, it's really nice to see that the Sri Lankan people have resilience and they have kind of fought back and stormed the presidential palace. I saw the footage of a million people um, going into the president's house, taking photos um, and protesting and I I with within all that sadness I felt so much pride that I was just like they just gave the big FU and decided that enough's enough and I I don't know if this will truly make a difference but it's one of the biggest steps um that the people of Sri Lanka have done to uh change their situation right now yeah I I mean, you you know, obviously I was only watching snippets that you see on the news and it's hard to know what's, you know, how much of the story you're getting. But I couldn't help but reflect on the difference in, I guess, tone and approach and mood of the Sri Lankan people in the presidential palace and the Americans who stormed the capital, where that was so much bound up in anger and, I guess, falsehood. And this seemed to be not, I guess, joyful is the wrong word, but I mean, there's so much inequality in in Sri Lanka I guess you know it was that people were lying lying on a comfy bed or swimming in a pool or you know pulling food out of the cool rooms and cooking together they just seemed to be quite uh, as you say like resilient spirit and joy is probably too um yeah it's like too resolved a kind of word but something about yeah creating change and and feeling powerful in, in being part of that change yeah I I wouldn't say joy wouldn't be the right word. Um, I actually think there would be a lot of joy um, in the actions that they were taking that day. And what I learned about the people of Sri Lanka is, and there's, they're so, um, so, sorry, I'll start again. I went to Sri Lanka a couple of months ago, just after the president declared um, Sri Lanka's a state of national emergency. And a lot of people said, don't go to Sri Lanka. And I was like, 
nah, I'm going, bye. And then I left and went. And I, it was really interesting to see how the media portrayed what was happening in Sri Lanka versus what was actually happening in Sri Lanka. And it's true that everything um, that the media is showing is happening in Sri Lanka and they're in a dire state. It is so bad. But I saw the resilient side of all the Sri Lankan people um, and it made me so happy that um, – there was still so much joy in the simple things in life and everyone was just getting on with it and the protests were uh, friendly. Um, even going through the protest, everyone was really nice to each other. There was no sense of um, fear when I walked through all the protests in Sri Lanka and they were isolated to certain areas as well. So the rest of Sri Lanka, everyone was just going on about their day. A lot of people didn't have fuel. Um, but everyone was just accepting of the situation and I do think that that comes down to um, maybe um, it's predominantly a Buddhist culture as well and there's a lot of acceptance associated with that. Like <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm, not very, I'm not religious at all but um, I could see that, uh, yeah, the whole country just showed a resilient side that I'd never really seen before or it was a side that has, has always been there, but during such a time of hardship, it just really surfaced. Um, so, yeah, a lot of proud feelings for Sri Lanka, a lot of sad feelings at the same time, but joy, 100% would be the word you would use to describe the people storming the presidential palace. Like, everyone would have been so happy and feeling so triumphant and I don't think that there would be any other feeling other than satisfaction and joy in doing that. Wow, it's really, yeah, really amazing. So interesting that you've been there so recently and I really appreciate your perspective. I mean, how do you feel like um, being, you know, born in Sri Lanka, representing Sri Lankan cuisine to, as, you, as you often have done on, on MasterChef and now in your restaurant? Like what is, it, what is it that you're trying to share or get across? It took me a while to figure out why I was cooking in the first place. Um, a few people asked, why do you want to go back on MasterChef again? And I said, oh, because I want to show people how to cook Sri Lankan food. I want to put Sri Lankan food on the map. And then they said, no, 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 that's not it. Why do you want to go on? And I'm like, oh, because I really like cooking. And they're like, no, 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 why do you want to go on? And it took me a long time to realise that um, it was really an opportunity to show people my authentic version of Sri Lankan cooking that it really does differ from what Sri Lankan food has been portrayed as in restaurants, in cookbooks, in the media. And I have grown up in Australia, I was born in Sri Lanka and I've travelled a bit and absorbed all the food knowledge from eating because I am a bit of a greedy pig, I just love food. And now I have a different version of Sri Lankan food that I call authentic and I think that was what was exciting for me to show um, to anyone that watched MasterChef. Um, and it was just fun. Oh, my gosh, Danny, it was so fun. It's like, <laughs> it's, that's it. It's, 
I mean, it's, I don't know if it, you can tell me through a dish or through a cooking method or an ingredient, but, you know, what does characterise your style of Sri Lankan food? Um, I think it comes down to values now in my cooking. So using local produce, using seasonal produce, which I love doing, it's always, you know, the, the seasonal local produce that's the yummiest and easiest to source um, Sri Lankan cooking, for me and my knowledge about it, it's always been about using, you know, the food that grows around you. So even going to Sri Lanka, I noticed that different regions have different vegetables that they use. You know, down south you've got seafood. Inland you've got a lot of root vegetables and, um, you know, the, the random weird vegetables that a lot of people don't know. Um, so for me... Flavor is key. My mum was always huge on bringing the, um, getting the most out of each vegetable and highlighting the produce for what it is, uh, utilizing the spices that have been in Sri Lankan food for forever, um, which I think have Ayurvedic properties. So I still am learning a little bit more about that, but there's a certain reason why one spice will be put with another spice in food and the combinations of spices have different impacts on your body. So, so yeah, I think local produce, um, modern cooking techniques and the spices and flavours of Sri Lanka combined together is my, um, my way of cooking. Mm. I love that and I love that you call it values. I think that's really telling. Um, is there a dish that your mum you know, feeds you or something you remember from your childhood that's, you know, really, you know, you're all about it? Yeah, there's there's a couple of dishes that my mum cooked whenever I was unwell um, and generally it involved uh, eggplant and okra and they're the ones that I loved so much. So there's a dish called eggplant moju. Um, she does a chicken curry, which is you know, every Sri Lankan person will tell you that there is one chicken curry that would stick out in their mind for them and it's generally the, the chicken curry that their mum would cook. Um, it's delicious but it was food that made me feel good um, and that's all I remember, anything that, you know, a chicken soup that she would make when I wasn't feeling well or um, a chicken curry, which every Sri Lankan person has, delicious delicious chicken curry. Um, one of the things in the in the restaurant that I found really hard to kind of move past was every other Sri Lankan person had an opinion on how a dish should be made. This is probably the hardest thing with Sri Lankan cooking because because it's not so popular in the restaurant industry. It's kind of a budding cuisine. Um, every Every person has their own version of what they consider to be a true authentic version of what Sri Lankan food is. So I feel like I'm battling against everyone's idea of what Sri Lankan food should be versus everyone just accepting that there are so many different types of Sri Lankan food. It's interesting. Like, is there also a freedom in that though, that, you know, here's just another version? Yeah. I I, th- I think pushing past that idea that, you know, this is how my mum makes a chicken curry um, versus, oh, cool, like that's just another yummy Sri Lankan dish. I don't think the, I don't think Sri Lankan people are there yet. 
Um, there's a lot of pride in the dishes that their family cooked because a lot of Sri Lankan food comes from home cooking, the food that's been in the family for decades and making a restaurant that plays around with modern cooking techniques, you know, different types of produce, different ways of cooking an authentic dish. It really does push the boundary of Sri Lankan cooking as Sri Lankan people know it. So I'm finding that my food is a lot more well-received with people that don't know what Sri Lankan food is versus people that have a very strong idea of what Sri Lankan food is. It's, it's, it was, yeah. It's yeah, interesting, really interesting. I mean, Manoli, it's such a different life, you know, yes, like working as an engineer, going on a reality TV show, but then deciding to open a restaurant. That is just a whole other massive part of this journey. What made you take that huge step? Before MasterChef last season, I was having dinner with my um, one of my business partners, Seth, who I've been friends with for a little while. And he loves spearfishing, is a bit of a hunter. Like he goes out and hunts his own food. And he caught a barramundi, came back and said, Minnie, we should cook it up. Uh, can you cook up a curry? I've caught the fish. And I said, yeah, yeah, cool, that's fine. I cooked up a, you know, a yellow Sri Lankan curry with the barramundi and he goes, Minnie, let's do a restaurant. <laughs> this is just after one, cooking one dish. And I was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. And that was all it was. It was just one conversation, one dinner, and we just decided that we're going to do it in Darwin because why not? And if it didn't work, it didn't work. But if it did, then even better. And after that, I got called back to do MasterChef and there was a little bit of coordinating required because we did want to open a little bit earlier. But in the end, it just worked out so well that I got to go back and do MasterChef season 14 and then come back and hustle my way into a restaurant. It's crazy. It is so fun. And I didn't stop to think about what a restaurant owner's life would be like. I didn't ask anyone what working in a kitchen would be like. Like I decided to just make my own mind up after doing it for myself. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I didn't listen to anyone. <laughs> what is it like? I mean, maybe you've invented a whole other type of restaurant. <laughs> um, it's the best vibe. I, I, I decided to take on the idea of hospitality from the home and take it straight into a restaurant. So one of the things I love about cooking is the hospitality side and um, giving food to any of my guests and having that food kind of encourage conversation, encourage, you know, people reaching over, chatting, um, making food an experience rather than just, you know, a meal during the day. And I wanted to take that in into the restaurant and make the restaurant somewhere that I wanted to work and a place where everyone felt like they were at home. So I, f I really feel like the culture there needs to be set from the top down. And I have worked in restaurants before where they're, They've had a really toxic culture and I just realised what I don't want out of a restaurant and, yeah, I was, I was really adamant with, with who worked there. I, it needed to work for both sides 
And I also knew that anyone working in the restaurant, they wouldn't share the same dream as me. So accepting that people might only be there for a few months at a time or um, for whatever reason, you know, everyone works for many different reasons and trying to find out what that is and working with all my staff to give them the best possible experience while they're working there um, would just mean everyone would be happy. And who doesn't like, you know, happy people working? Yeah, well, it sounds really, sounds perfect. Sounds like it's all done in the most amazing spirit. What's the response been like? Amazing. Um, A lot of people have wondered why we have staff in the restaurant because Darwin has struggled with staff as of late. Uh, You know, there hasn't been a lot of travellers around um, and a lot of restaurants have been struggling with keeping and retaining staff. But we found that by setting a really good culture and enforcing it and making sure that all the staff feel really supported in the workplace has given... I don't know, it's just given the staff this sense of freedom and this sense of joy and accomplishment when they finish each shift. Like they feel like they're getting something out of working at the restaurant, which is exactly what you want. You want you want to feel like there's something in it for them as well as for me. Um, and for me, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. If If someone's upset, it kind of worries me a little bit and I don't, yeah, I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? So when everyone's going about their job happy, enjoying what they're doing, it just makes my job so much easier. Um, so, yeah, it's surprisingly – there has been moments where I've had to pull people up, um, but it's been quite easy dealing with that uh, in in that moment in time and it's never been – you know, I've stamped out pointing fingers, pointing blame and really focused on a sense of accountability with the staff. So giving people jobs and autonomy within their roles to allow them to just take control, like not micromanage. And it's just allowing people to flourish um, and tr- putting trust in them. Sorry, there's a lot of things. I'm learning a lot, Danny. Like there's so many things that I didn't know before I started this restaurant, but ultimately I think if I treat the restaurant like a home where everyone respects each other, you work hard and, um, yeah, you just give people a chance to flourish and play to their strengths, then I think everyone else feels grateful that they're getting that opportunity as well. And I think giving the staff the opportunity that I would have liked working at a restaurant, then if I just continue doing that, I don't think um, I should have too many problems. Tell me about the food scene in Darwin because, I mean, to my shame, I've never been to Darwin. Uh, so now I've got even more motivation to go so I can visit your restaurant. But, I mean, you mentioned there's not as many travellers as normal and, you know, I guess, you know, things are very much in flux all around the country. But, you know, what is it like there? Darwin right now is beautiful and warm. It's sunny there's a lot of tropical produce because it does have a bit of a tropical climate um i guess there's wet season and dry season and right now it is the perfect time to travel during the dry season and it's the most beautiful dry season i think i've experienced in quite a number of years there are so many 
travellers from within Australia who are travelling around Darwin, which is really exciting, but it just means everything is busy. Everyone is, all the restaurants are full. There's a lot of, oh, gorgeous produce. I don't, oh, the markets here are amazing, Danny. And every week I, I go to the markets, have a look around, see what new produce is there, and then try and incorporate that into the restaurant. And it's, yeah, Darwin's one of those places where I forget that it's still in Australia. But in fact, it's probably one of the most Australian places that I know because it's so multicultural. There's a lot of like really defined cultures that exist in Darwin and they exist quite seamlessly and happily. And you'll notice that at the markets where there's a huge Thai, Vietnamese, East Timorese population. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an eclectic, wonderful place where everyone seems free to be themselves. So you'll notice a lot of colour in Darwin with what people are wearing. Um, and I came from Melbourne where it was like very black and white. My whole wardrobe was black and white and grey if I was lucky. Um, and then coming to Darwin, I just feel free. It's it's a completely new feeling. There's no traffic. That's Darwin, baby. Really? You are yeah. selling it. I, am I? Especially, oh, you totally, the colour and the sunshine. I am, yeah, it's very appealing to me right now as my toes are ready to snap off in very cold Melbourne this morning. Um Manoli, I want to yeah change lanes a little bit. I know you've had um, health challenges uh, in your life, and you know I've read you talking about your um, breast cancer and especially how that affected your relationship to food. Could you talk about that for us? Yeah, so I went through breast cancer when I was thirty-one. So I was diagnosed um, diagnosed a month before my 31st birthday and it was pretty serious. So it was stage 3A breast cancer. For anyone that does know a little bit about it, it was triple positive, which means that the cancer itself fed off estrogen, progesterone and something called HER2, which meant it was kind of fast growing. And thanks to modern medicine, I guess 10 years ago, there was no it's not 10 years ago, maybe, maybe about a decade or two ago, there wasn't really a treatment for HER2 positive cancers, which meant my case maybe a couple of decades ago would have been pretty bad. Like it would have been a very much lower survival rate. But I went into chemo, did six months of it, and during chemotherapy I lost my sense of taste. It was really strange. Everything tasted quite metallic and I I just lost any passion for food that I had. I think all I wanted to eat was you know, watermelon, boiled rice, just things that didn't really have too much flavour and uh, I didn't want to eat my mum's cooking and that was the hardest part because she just gave everything to food and that's kind of what I've taken from my mum and her cooking style where she just put so much love into her food and when I was going through chemotherapy, I didn't want to eat any of her food and I guess she didn't really know how else to support me because cooking for my mom is one of the biggest things in life. That's how she shows people how she loves them. And yeah, I, I didn't want to eat her food. I didn't want to eat really anything that had flavor for a good six months to a year. And 
then slowly, slowly my sense of taste started to return, but it wasn't for about six months to a year that it did that. And when it did, I was able to eat food and identify flavors and, you know, the, the nuance of a carrot and why a carrot tasted like a carrot, which I hadn't ever really taken notice of before where I just eat food and I'm like, mum, 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 yum, it's so tasty. Um, but now, <laughs> now I would eat certain foods and be so present in eating that I would notice what flavours I was tasting, what I, what I liked, what I didn't like. And I think it allowed me to really hone in on what made flavour, what the meaning of flavour meant for me. And it just made me so conscious and aware of what flavours worked with other flavours because I had to figure out what I liked and what I didn't like if I was to figure out what foods I was going to make. So really, yeah, it really gave me a heightened appreciation for food and flavour and flavour combinations and sometimes those flavour combinations were really random and weird but it was okay because it was what my palate wanted. It was what I found tasty. So, yeah, it was a very strange feeling and it was only after I like – if it was only after I came back to Darwin – I say back to Darwin, like I'd had been there before. No, it's when I moved to Darwin about four and a half, five years ago that I truly fell back in love with cooking again because of the gorgeous produce that's up here. You know, you go to the market and there are like a hundred different vegetables that you probably wouldn't find in your local supermarket. And... Yeah, relearning to love food again was a huge part of my cooking journey and a huge part of why I went on MasterChef in the first place. Um, so, yeah. Do you think that, you know, I guess facing your mortality in that way or, you know, knowing that if you'd been born at a different time that, you know, the health outcome might have been, you know, much different, do you think that that also gave you courage to make such big changes in your life? Yeah, I think I had always done things for other people. I, I was always, you know, thinking about others and never really putting myself first. And after I went through cancer and I didn't really know what the outcome was going to be, I realised the only thing that I did have control of was my own mindset and making sure that I was in the best mind frame and mindset possible to, to benefit me and my health. So I kind of kept that attitude going forward and really made sure that anything that I was doing, I was doing with my health in, you know, first and foremost. So doing MasterChef, I realised that it was an opportunity to do something that I loved. It meant someone would have to look after my dog, but I would that would be okay. And, you know, I would have to stop my job for a little while, but that would be okay because ultimately it was something that would make me happy. And it was scary, you know, the idea of having TV cameras and, you know, Maljok and Andy 
judging you on your food. It it was a scary thought, but I just didn't really care about any any. I didn't really worry about fear anymore because I I think that I'd gone through something that made me question my mortality, and I'd overcome it. And I just it just now provides perspective for me in anything that I do with life, which I hope that anyone that hasn't gone through something so scary can also find. Like, you know how they say don't sweat the small stuff? It's really true, like, but, but it's, it's, it's a reminder that I think even I have to keep telling myself day in, day out, like, don't worry about that. It's really in the grand scheme of things. Is it really worth it? Um, sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it's small stuff. <laughs> But, yeah, it's just not to worry about the little things that that really, like, don't really make that much of a difference in your life. Um, yeah, m- making sure that you had a good mindset because, you know, when you, when you feel stress, and I, I'm not a doctor, I'm, I don't, I'm not in the health field at all, but the one thing that I felt when I went through um, treatment was if I was ever stressed – my body felt really weird and I would break out in, you know, I would get little red red dots on my face. I was like, what's going on? What is going on? And I realized that every time I did feel stressed, my body, especially because it was in such a compromised state, it would react really differently. And I was like, that's really weird. Like, why is my body doing this? And the only... The only reasoning I could come up with was stress was just releasing whatever chemicals in my body and then that was having some kind of negative impact on my my health. And I just realised in that moment that I had to do whatever I could to not get stressed out, which seems very logical now that I say it out loud. <laughs> so. But sometimes it is like it is it is a big journey to get to the – the simple truths, isn't it? And it feels like you've, yeah, you've had a lot of stuff thrown before you and, yeah, I mean, you just, I guess we all we all process what what's on our own paths. Um, yeah, I feel like we've really covered a lot in this chat, Manoli, but um, as I plan my trip to Darwin, is there anything else that you would like to say in your first podcast? I'd love to say that Darwin is a spectacular place and it's well worth a visit if you're you know, you want a bit of an adventure. But the one thing that I want to leave everyone with is um, what I've seen in the cooking world. And everyone thinks just because I've, I've, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing now that cooking, like me, isn't is, is impossible. And it's not. Cooking is about making mistakes. Cooking is about giving things a go, eating as much as you can. If you eat everything, then you understand flavor so much better. So. I urge everyone to just cook, to make mistakes, to stuff up their dishes because that's how you learn how not to do the mistakes the next time and just eat whatever's around you, eat local produce, like cook whatever you know. You don't have to cook like someone else because that's someone else's story. Show everyone who you are with the food that you love and that is good enough and that is that's the stuff that needs to be put out into the world. So I hope everyone just continues to do that. And then I think 
the world will be a happier place. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what great words to leave us with, Manoli. Excellent sentiment and spirit. It's been such a pleasure to have you on Dirty Linen. Thank you for trusting me with your first podcast. It's uh, yeah, an honour to have you on the show. Oh, thanks, Danny. It was a really fun podcast and, yeah, I think the nerves have just completely gone. So, yep, thank you for having me. I had the best time. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.